I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to Season 5 and another episode of Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. Season 5. Yes, yes. Well, if you are a new or long-time listener, Tosh and I have researched and discussed topics and subjects with a focus on how to impact Black motherhood. We encourage you to review our listener notes and subscribe to the Monday Mammologist. And now, on to the show. All right. And so today we're discussing the wine business. Um, the wine business, it's a, I would say, a billion dollar industry with uh, probably less than 3% of black and brown entrepreneurs uh, serving as owners, operators it, within the setting. Obviously, representation always matters. And in today's topic, um, it's no different. We'll be discussing this area with our guest mammologist, Ms. T- Ms. Tahira Habibi, uh, founder sommelier of the Hugh Society, co-founder of the Roots Fund Initiative, founder and president of Council of Resources Group in Atlanta, as well as her trajectory into this interesting field. Thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me. No doubt. And just to give, give you guys a little bit more information, uh, to hear you are the first Black woman to grace the cover of Wine Enthusiasts. Am I, is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, and she's probably like, girl, that's old news, but <laughs> she gets this look like, girl, look, I'm on everything, but <laughs> all the things, all the things. No, I didn't Google her. That's okay. No, you, you just you you badass. Come on, man, you, you badass woman. Come on, really, really. Look, I'm excited. This is like, thank you, thank you for being with us. Um. So we uh, we're gonna put her bio in the in the notes, y'all, because I know. Uh, you are one to be reckoned with, and <laughs> I'm hopeful that many of us can follow in your footsteps. Um, you know, I'm just gonna kick it off here. You had said in Vine Pear, and I forget which year it was, but you had said wine is power. Wine is a booming business, is a booming financial business. I'm talking billions of dollars in industry that we have not even fully tapped into because we don't know how to navigate it, end quote. Mm-hmm. Can you expand what, like, what are we not navigating now? What are we, what is we doing wrong? Um, I mean, there's power structures in everything, um, in every industry. And wine, the wine industry is just one of those places where, Prior to the last two or three years, we just really didn't see ourselves. And so we never even thought about careers so much. And I'm talking about the bulk of us, right? I'm not talking about in absolutes. Um, And we didn't understand how wine has that power, not only in social settings, because people respect you more when you have a working wine knowledge. It's, It's a proven fact. Um, you know, you if you don't believe me, go into a meeting and say Merlot and see, you know, what happens instead of Merlot. And it is, it's a thing. But the bar is so low for us in regards to even like knowing that that people are so impressed when we have just the, the smallest amount of wine knowledge. Um, but wine is also like the ultimate connector and, and kind of conduit into a lot of other things. Um, and I just felt like for a long time we were left out of the conversation um 
both as consumers and as um, on the business side of it. And, you know, right now we're at what, $8 billion and all of that money is just circulating where? Because it's not circulating in our community, um, but we're consumers, right? And so we buy whatever, a lot of times what you put in front of us, if we see ourselves in it. So for example, Moscato, you know, everybody loves the Moscato conversation because it gets tied to black women a lot. The truth is that most people start with sweet wine. Black women get stereotyped into the idea of sweet wine or Moscato, that kind of thing. Um, but we weren't interested in Moscato until Drake said it. Prior to that, Moscato was just um, used in Jewish ceremonies. It was a Jewish wine, um, kosher ceremonies. And, you know, the bottle would last forever because they didn't fully drink it. And then Drake mentioned it. Um, you know, Lil' Kim had mentioned it once before too, but then it just, the sales shot through hundreds of percent of what it was. So it doesn't tell you anything. Like we move everything, but we just lack the, the knowledge um, as to how powerful we could move things. So imagine if we apply that to um, black brands, you know, and, or, um, into getting our, our own certifications into building things for ourselves. Imagine what that could look like. We saw what it looked like from the other side. What does it look like now that we're actually into it? I like that you um, talked about Drake and Little Kim um, because that kind of goes into a question I was going to ask. Like uh, recently, I had watched a TikTok where um, there was a, a woman explaining the influence of alcohol, uh, hard alcohol, I should say, um, your Hennessy's, things like that, absolutes, like you were saying, and the and and its influence in the black community. Um, but to summarize, for the most part, you know, it goes back to the prohibition era era of what we could or what we are allowed to make and, and things like that. However, like you were mentioning, what you attributed to in modern day, you know, we have hip hop, hip hop um, and, and, and black celebs, right, that have re reimagined, resurfaced, whatever you want to call it, the, the alcohol culture, right? So back then we could imagine that, you know, we were wine enthusiasts too. So it's like, you know, why... Why, why choose wine now, right, versus, you know, I guess going back to the trying to upsell, you know, the hard alcohol, you know, why, why did you decide to, you know, go through, go down that path of, um, um, you know, doing wine versus alcohol? Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Like, conflating them is, is not... Um, like it, it creates a different, it, it feeds into the idea that we're alcoholics and that kind of thing. Right. Whereas out hard liquor, nothing against it, but hard liquor has a completely different connotation than wine. Like, yeah, you could get wine drunk, but that's a different kind of drunk. It's not like, Oh my God, you know, you out here busting people in the head with stuff. Like you give me some tequila on the right night, who knows what's gonna happen? You know, that's a, that's a different effect. It's made completely differently. If there's not a lot of um, manpower that has to go into heart liquor either, right? Like wine is a very personal, specific thing. Vodka tastes like vodka. 
across the spectrum for the most part. You know, you have different qualities of vodka, but for the most part, vodka tastes like vodka. And personally, I think it's disgusting. You know, rum um, is, is very much tied to our culture, obviously. Um, and there are different kinds of rums and different levels again, but, you know, rum is a rum. But you're mostly always going to mix these things with something. So even if you're like a connoisseur, uh, and, I'm, and I'm talking about like really high-end rums, like, no, you yeah. wouldn't that. You would sip on that. But for the most part, you're talking about mixing drinks, um, which is a craft in itself, right? Like bar, uh, bar, bartending. I used to be a bartender. That's a, that's a whole thing. However, wine is something that is very much made by nature and then by man. And so, you know, it starts with the grapes, it starts with the land. That's a whole different thing. And then a lot of times the people who man that land that have made that surface viable for those grapes to thrive, they get left out of the conversation. And then when you move into, you know, other, the other historical parts of it, um, wine has always traveled through history, like through every war and, and all the rest of that stuff. Liquor, um, you know, not saying that it hasn't, it's just, it just has a completely different history. It has a different effect on your life. You know, I not saying that people don't go to AA for alcoholism from drinking wine, but it's, it's, it's a little less common than going to, um, to AA because you, you, you're stuck on um, hard liquor. And, um, you know, in a, lot, in a lot of ways, wine is food, right? Like, especially in Europe, they don't drink wine the way that we drink wine here. It's not put up on this pedestal, it's food. And that's the way I've always approached it. It's just food. It's a part of a meal. It enhances your meal um, in a lot of ways if you have the right wine with, the right meal with, you know, with the right um, chemicals and all the rest of the scientific things, all that stuff, the pairings, if you have the great, a good pairing, it goes great together. Like, um, but I not really going to do a, you know, sip on some, uh, hard whiskey while I'm drinking, while I'm eating my, you know, right. Right. You don't have a steak with, with right. so a 56 year old, you know, whiskey. Right. And it's different. <laughs> it's just, um, they're just different. And I think, you know, prohibition is very much is just about control, just as, you know, all of the, the rest of the industry is. Um, and a lot of states are still stuck in that place because they still want to control how money is flown, uh, you know, it going in and out of communities. And so prohibition was absolutely about control. But we started making moonshine, right? Right, right. I know. I'm like, and that could be a whole... Right. Conversation of itself, truly. But I think the main difference is wine is really food, right? Uh -huh. Wine is an absolute part of the meal. You go to Europe, they start giving their kids wine at 12 years old, and it's, you think nothing of it because it's not a big deal, right? Because they're not drinking to get drunk. They're drinking to satisfy, you know, a pairing. If you drink hard liquor, you are mostly drinking <laughs> to get drunk. I mean, in most instances there, I'm not talking about, again, connoisseurs, like that's not being, I don't like to talk in absolutes, but um, it's just, we just think differently about wine here, that's all. Interesting. You make this point. Speaking like, of being a part of food and and how, how did you get to become a sommelier? Because I feel like I read something where you were upset with the industry or something happened. You said, I I'm about to jump into this. What was that 
travel like to go from bartender to now you are? Oh, I went from hostess. <laughs> oh, okay. I was uh, I was working as a hostess when I started taking my wine classes. Um, it was something that was offered at the time through the hotel I was working at, and I was like, "All right." I had, you know, some previous experience with it from college, and that's when I learned. Like, I started like catching on to like, "Oh, this is a vibe." Like, people really jive with you when you can drink this mess and not make a face. Not saying that, you know, all wine's not good. So sometimes it tastes like shit. Like, so you, you know, you drink it. But, um, you know, in college, I went to Penn State University. I mean, you, it is as white as, as white. Like, you know, but I, I became the homecoming queen there. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, <laughs> I also, um, you know, I had a ton of other leadership positions I used to always just be in these receptions and I had to learn how to handle myself with it. But if I didn't, I knew what that was going to look like. Like, look, look at the little Negro girl. She doesn't, she doesn't know anything about wine. Like, even though this, or, you know, like, uh, I couldn't be like, you know, making faces and all of that stuff. I, I had to learn how to handle myself. So I had learned that pretty fast. And then, um, I love a good challenge. I'm pretty ambitious. So, you know, when I started researching the wine industry and I couldn't really find any other black women and that's not to say that it didn't exist. It's just that there wasn't anything being written about them. Um, and I knew during this particular time, I mean, it's still to this day, but this particular time I was going through a different a certification and, you know, at the time it was like the highest mountain that you climb. And I said, I'm going to climb that mountain and I'm going to be the first black woman to do it. And then I'm going to start to get all of this stuff and we'll take it back to the community. And, you know, that was my thing. I wanted to be the first black uh, woman uh, master sommelier. And, you know, that, that crashed really fast, but um, I took a different path and, uh, you know, everything always works out the way it's supposed to. It worked out perfectly. It wasn't an easy road, but, um, I think just being able to navigate that road on my own opened up a lot more doors and showed a lot more people where they could en end up in this space than me just going along with, um, the, the trajectory that was laid out for me that everybody kind of went with. That was what you had to do. You had to go through these certifications in order to be taken seriously or, to be considered a professional or the rest of it didn't matter what other certifications you had. You had to get this specific one. Otherwise it was, you know, you were knocked upon. And I, you know, I started it. I didn't like where it was going. I didn't like, you know, a couple of things. They, they came, came out their mouth. I said, this ain't it. Not coming back to this. Got to figure it out from there. And I just, I just started, you know, I went the opposite way of everybody, which it probably, I won't say that I should have started that way because I, I fully believe like your journey is, is your journey. Like it's perfect. And had I started the other way, it probably, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the things that I was able to accomplish without having a, all of those certifications as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So give us a breakdown of the Hugh Society. What is it? How do we navigate? You know, tell the people what you are, what it is. So I started the Hugh Society in 2017. Um, it was an extension of a organization that I had started when I was in Miami called Sipping Socials. And I really wanted to create something that was um, for us, through us, 
and that we would understand to get us more interested in the wine industry. Like I said, my, my concern has always been like, it's a lot of money out here and we're not even tapping into it. We're, we're consuming it and based off of what other people are telling us to consume, but we're not consuming it because we're making choices, informed choices. And I knew the only way to do that was to do it through our lens, which meant culturally, you know, food, wine, um, you know, uh, art, music, all those things had to come into play to make it make sense for us, for us to be like, yo, I can get down with this, even though I don't understand this language, because wine is a different language a lot of times. I can get down with the idea of getting into, you know, drinking wine. Even that's a start. That's, you got to start somewhere. You just start drinking it. And you're like, oh, this is actually cool. I could probably move on maybe to something else. Um, and so with Sipping Socials, it was smaller. It was just like event-based. And then I was like, yeah, I'm ambitious. So I said, okay, I proved that this works. I did a wine and reggae festival in Miami. 3,000 people showed up, which I was not prepared for. And I said, okay, <laughs> but this works. You know, I got hammered. <laughs> people were pissed. But concept works. Proof of concept. Okay. So I'm going to expand this. I'm going to make this, I'm going to give this everybody across the country. And so, you know, when I started the Hughes Society, um, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what it wa I wanted it to be. I, I knew like the levels that I kind of wanted to take it to. I just didn't have like the perfect name. And I was like, I know I wanted to be a society, but I wasn't really sure. And this is around the time when Jay-Z's 444 came out. And, um, you know, he's like, was better than one billionaire too, especially if they're saying he was you. And I was like, that's right. This is a double entendre for me. Like, there are different hues of wine, there are different hues of black people, there are different hues of brown people. Like, this is perfect. So, so that's where, you know, I got the name from. And then, um, well, that's what inspired the name. And then I moved to Georgia. I ended up, uh, I got pregnant and I knew I didn't want to raise my daughter in um, Miami. And so, um, I moved to Georgia. She was 10 months. And uh, when she turned one is when I started the Hughes Society. And so I just been kind of grinding from there. Some of my first events like Essence Festival uh, didn't really have any wine events. So I said, okay, take <laughs> your ambitious excess. <laughs> That's right. Well, That's so right. It was a wine event. That's right. So I started doing wine events at Essence. And it was like, but, but I, you know, I had to look around and see, like, it's missing in so many sectors. Like, how do you not have wine events at Essence? Like, so um, I did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, that's morphed into, it used to be called the Black Wine Experience. Now it's called the Wine and Culture Festival. Kind of morphed into, uh, it was always a couple of days. But they were like smaller events that I could handle. Uh, now it's this ginormous thing, you know, happening every year, which, you know, it's beautiful because people come from all over the country. I'm like, say it with your chest, girl. I'm like, it is this thing that you, you know, She's like, you know, I just kind of do like a little event, you know. You know what I'm saying? A little bit. 3,000 no. people. <laughs> Male. I mean, it's a shit. It's for, it is a shit. Like exactly, exactly. It's, a, it's an it's an incredible experience because you never. There's nothing that caters to black culture, but brings in fine wine and those kinds of things work. 
and that's what your society is like it's a space where you don't have to assimilate that's literally the first thing that i wrote assimilation not required um because i didn't want us to to have to come into this space and, and and pretend or act like them or you know what we did enough of that we do enough of that uh, and i just wanted to create a space that felt like home so when I started doing events, I wanted those events to feel like you was going to, you know, your regular summer cookout. Um, and, but I think I also believe that we deserve luxury experiences. So I wasn't just using, um, you know, uh, there is a, there is a section of the event where it's, it's dedicated to black brands and executives and that kind of stuff. But, um, I also, again, want luxury experiences. So, you know, we start bringing in high-end burgundies, high-end wines from, you know, all around the world too, because there's no education in just all black, right? Because we have not dominated the industry enough to have all black and, and feel educated. The education comes from drinking. You have to be able to drink different places to uh, kind of start understanding nuance um, and all that stuff. So, um you know, Hugh Society is home. That's just what I always say. It's, it's the place where you can come and be yourself. You know, we have chapters across the country, soon internationally. And um, it's just, it's my baby. It's, it's, a, it's, I'm super proud of it because you get to give people access and resources, but you get to give people agency and autonomy of how and what they want to learn. And you're not just throwing them scraps or throwing them who you think they should learn. It's like, Here's all the resources that you need. Build, go build, right? And so you build in every city. Every city needs something different. So you know they build what they need. You build what you need, and you just keep it moving until you know now it's a collective um, organization. And then a lot of people just join for the community by itself. Like yeah, wine, wine's just a part of the community, but it's really about community and, and us being able to um, create a space where we one hundred percent. Um, are centered and that does not exist in the wine industry and like I said we saw what they did with the power like what do we do when we have the, that kind of power and agency mm -hmm. wow let's let's take it or combine combine the areas if you will we're um now I'm starting to see a little bit more black brands in terms of making wine we're seeing some winemakers own uh, tasting room, Jenny Dawes comes to mind. Um, I know there's one in California they're trying to get, you know, funding and things like that. Um, is it out of the question for us 40-year-old moms, black moms out there to try to get in this game? Oh. Yes, no. What what do we need to do? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, what, right, what's, that? what's that? It's not out of the question, but it is difficult, right? Okay. You need funding. And, um, you know, not for nothing. Most of the time, the funding gets turned down from banks for these kinds of things with us. Um, you need somebody who's going to believe in you that's going to put some money behind um, your product. And, and that, when you say get in the game, that can mean so many different things, right? Like it can mean being a psalm. Like you want to start studying wine, you want to start educating, being an educator. That can mean creating a brand. Um, that, but all these things cost money because wine costs money. And so you have to study the wine in order to master whatever segment it is that you're trying to get into. But no, I know a lot of um, women and particularly moms who've gotten into the industry um, over 40 or, you know, in, in their late 30s. And it's just really just a matter of support. 
right? It's like, what does that look like for you? That's the first thing you have to figure out. Like, what, what does support look like that I'm going to need in order to, to do this? I used to strap, I've been a single mom her whole life. I used to strap her onto my chest and go to wine tastings. You know, when she was a newborn, people, I, people would look at me and I'm like, can I help you? <laughs> I was like, we drinking it at home anyway. What the heck? I got things to do. <laughs> I got places to be. I can't wait until my daughter is, you know, six or seven. Like, no, like she got to go too. I know how to breastfeed and, you know, and, and not get the juice. Like, don't concern yourself with what I'm doing. Um, but it's a thing, like, because it's alcohol, people don't want to see your kids. And it's like, 12 year olds in Europe drinking wine, although they're not drinking it to get drunk. But you know, the exposure, and that's one thing I can say about my daughter, like her palate development, she doesn't drink wine. She has she has snuck my wine before. Like I've come home and she's like, you know, pounding the bottom of a glass, not home out of the bathroom. You're just pounding the bottom of a glass, you know, getting the last couple of drops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, she's I'm not gonna lie, like, oh, she's never tasted wine. Of course she's tasting wine. She, she knows how to swirl like a wine glass, like. <laughs> I love it. But she's also been around the world, right? Like she's been to Paris. She's been to Champagne. She's been to Burgundy. You know, she's been out of the country numerous times. She's been flying since she was um, 10 weeks old. So my job afforded me the, it didn't even afford me. I I created that space. I took that space. I wasn't like, oh, I have a baby. I have to sit here. It's like, no, my baby's coming with me. But, you know, I, I also started to realize her palate development is a lot different because she tries a lot of different foods because I try a lot of different foods. Now, there's one thing like I don't I don't eat meat, but for the most part, flavor wise, I'm going to, to sniff it. I'm going to see I'm going to, you know, whatever. And she's, you know, picked up on that same thing. Um, so I don't think that being a mom should stop you at all. I think that, you know, that's kind of a driver and it's 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 a double um, accomplishment because you get to expose your child to so many different things, whether it's traveling, whether it's, you know, them getting to see you work, whether it's them getting to, you know, even them seeing you with wine, that's very normalized for them now. Like I make this joke, <laughs> none of nobody's little dusty son going to be able to give my daughter the Prosecco and, and tell him it's champagne. Tell her okay. it's champagne. Like she doesn't, okay. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't like, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You know that I've been to Champagne. This is not. This ain't it. This it's ain't it. What this is it's ain't not, it, not sir. Giving. Shoe. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think you know America. America has has this uh, taboo, or I don't know what I want to call it, behind being a mom and and alcohol. Um, that that we can't that other countries just can't wrap their brain around like I've been I've been I've been to other places where you know where I've had alcohol before 18 where it's like okay well all right girl I mean and like you said it's not for the sake of you know getting drunk it is it's for it's 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 the whole experience of it right so the meal is the experience and so i think america i mean the other conversation is like america's viewpoint behind motherhood and consuming alcohol or what that looks like is far 
is, is a far negative connotation than what, you know, you see more internationally. And so I think it's also about, you know, yes, continue to bring, you know, bring your baby into them spaces so that we can break those, those stereotypes. And, yeah. and things like but that, America you know? also, their number one wine consumers are mothers. So it's yeah. like, they love to shame you. But, but they would rather have it behind always doors, win. right? Right? And yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's ugh, terrible, terrible. So you right? like, I, I think about, as you were talking, I guess, what else outside of being a Psalm, what other capacity could you, what else could you do um, in the wine industry, I guess, to break some of the, that, that diversity outside of, you know, being a psalm or just you know i guess branding or whatever i mean yeah you could be a psalm but you could also be a wine educator which is you know similar but not the same thing you could be a wine writer you could own a wine brand you can be a vintner you can be a winemaker you can um um be um, an executive you know the ceo of a major wine brand mm-hmm. the executive marketing director which we need definitely need more black of those because look at what they're doing. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton, just think of any industry that wine industry is the same thing. You have those things except the, for the front facing, obviously winemaker and some thing, but there's a lot of back end stuff that needs to happen in order for um, those for a wine production to happen, wine production, <laughs> you know, um, PR, it's a ton of things that you could get into and a skill set that you can um, you may already have that you just haven't thought to apply it to this industry for, with. That's that's the only thing. Hmm. Yeah, because I was just thinking about Mel, like you said, you know, you're being a mom for, you know, an older mom or whatever, you know, you don't necessarily have to you know, be a psalm. You don't, you don't necessarily have to be a, 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 a physical consumer of it in order to break into that industry. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Good ideas. Well, and then that goes into, you know, you're talking about your daughter and how now she's been around it, you know, for so, for so long, you know, now she knows what Prosecco is versus Champagne and whatnot, <laughs> and, which is beautiful. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, like, how would you recommend parents having those conversations or encouraging this next generation to consider this as an industry? I just feel like with the alcohol laws, like we limit ourselves and that's just me talking. Like I think as society, we're limiting the society limits us because of the the liquor laws, you know, being 18, not 18, but what steps or what ideas would you recommend a parent? Like, Hey, my kids should probably consider, you know, I mean, I can't take them wine tasting. Well, I guess I can, yeah. but, <laughs> but what, what things would you say or what did you say or have been saying to your daughter as you've been taking her with you to these locations? I'm also focused on the, the journey, the location that I do like about wine. Like, you know, she used to go to school and tell people I drank wine all day. You know, it's a thing. Um, so this is really funny because she's uh, she goes to a homeschool but i don't homeschool her, so it's a little um it's a pan-african homeschool 
And so I don't I don't remember like the full context, but they were reading something about like um, wine and um, just beverages, like just different things. And her teachers, I don't know who was who's right, who's wrong here. They both still going back and forth about it. But the teacher says something about wine being made. And, and my daughter was like, no, it's not. Wine's made from grapes. And it's not something I directly taught her, right? But she came home, like, upset, like, Miss Ashley said, you know, wine was made for such and such. And I told her, no, it's not. So I, like, texted her teacher cracking up. And she's like, yeah, she interrupted the whole thing. She's like, no, it's not. My mom is a wine expert. Like, <laughs> wine is made from grapes. But it's not something I directly, she's just influenced by it. It's not something I directly teach her. I don't teach her anything about wine. I teach her about experiences like when we're in these places and she knows what mommy does and she knows like you know I did have to explain to her why I'm sitting on you know the or camera drinking a glass of wine or you know my why I may have she may see me drinking every day for a few days because I don't drink every day and I and I had to curb that too because that still influences her like makes her think like oh you're supposed to drink every day and, and I don't um but I had to explain to her, this is mommy's job. It's not something, you know, that is, I'm not drinking this just for leisure. And then sometimes I am drinking it for leisure, but you know, these are adult things. Um, but to get to your question about why, how to, you know, get your kids into it, like the Roots Fund, the, you know, the nonprofit that I co-founded, we started going into high schools and we started taking the parents out so that the parents can get the experience and see fully what a wine-based job looks like. And then, you know, and then we started talking to the kids because you have to get through the, especially in our community, you have to get through that barrier of like, it's just alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. We had to get through that with HBCUs. A lot of them would turn us down because they thought we were promoting alcoholism. And it's not about that. It's, and but this is why there's $8 billion sitting in somebody else's lawn and it ain't colored. <laughs> so, you know, um, because we have a, a mentality that hasn't been adjusted yet, like we're not catching up to the times like your child might naturally have a, be a super taster, you yeah. know, they might naturally have these gifts and you are turning them away from it because you don't want them to be an alcoholic. It's not going to stop them. But, you know, we'll make them alcohol trauma. <laughs> Did you think about all those other things, you know, like, um, I just, we, it's, it's, it's definitely like fighting through walls for sure. Um, particularly at the HBCU level, at the high school level, you know, when we start connecting with people, um, particularly parents and administrators and stuff like that, it becomes a lot easier to navigate and say, Hey, here are all the different things you could do in the wine industry. And some of them you don't even have to drink wine for. Silly industry. Same thing with HBCUs, but you know, you know, it's it's a it's the same story with like uh, why we cut the ends off of ham, right? Like why we cut both ends off of ham to this day. And you know, you ask your grandmother if you you know everybody does this, they, they cut both ends off the ham, and this gets passed down and passed down and passed down, and then you know, one day you, you think you see, you ask your grandmother, you say, Hey, why, why do we cut the ends off the ham? She says, I don't know. She asked her mother, Hey, why do we cut the ends off the ham? You know, her mother says, because back then the ovens weren't big enough to fit the whole ham. So we had to cut it to get it in, inside. Well, no one passes down, 
you know, you're just passing down the ritual, but you're not passing down the, the actual information to help people make informed decisions. And so I think that we do that a lot, but especially culturally, we never question why we're kind of stuck in, in different things. Um, and, and if the, if it's beneficial for us anymore. Right. Um, so I, I just I just think the more you see black wine professionals flourishing and not alcoholics, the more you see, you know, you start to understand that it's more than just drinking wine or being a psalm or being a winemaker, then the, the more, you know, open people's minds will become to the industry and, and, and trying to create careers because it's a really fruitful in, industry. If you get into it and, you know, and you want your shit and, you know, um, what you're doing for sure. It's difficult, especially to get in, you know, it gets easier, but, um, once you get in there, you get a taste of it. If that's what you like, it's, it's great because it's, it's very social as well. Mm -hmm. I love it. Is there not like a list of all the black owned wineries? There's, there's a couple, I think there's one in there. Is it what? There's a couple. Um, okay more pop up all the time, which is great. Um, and it gets updated usually around black history month. <laughs> it's always, they always circulate around black history of the updated ones from the year before. So, you know, if you go to a couple different pages, I stopped updating them because I don't, I don't believe in like double duty. If somebody else is doing it, I don't need to do it. I'm not trying to prove that I can make a better list than you. So. Right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jesus. I give you what I know and you just add to your list. I mean, yeah. really. <laughs> let's work for me, you know? Jesus. What's next for you? What's next on the horizon? Um, I mean, lots of stuff. I'm busy. <laughs> I was just thinking about that in travel and slowing down because, you know, my daughter will be out of school in May. So I'm going to have to start planning my, my business trips for her in mind, um, taking her with me. Um, but I'm, I'm getting my podcast launched. It's called With Love Habibi. Um, and it's really about lifestyle stuff. Everybody knows me as this wine professional, but, um, you know, I'm really passionate about parenting um, and, and cultural perspectives and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, in fashion, you know, I have a, a jewelry boutique, an online boutique called Statements by Habibi. Um, so I, I haven't really been focusing on that because I've been so focused on the wine. So I really want to kind of get back to that other side of myself where I'm able to be myself for a little while. Um, but yeah, more chapters, more flourishing, more you know, dismantling. <laughs> we got to have you back on the show for a parenting thing then. Oh, yeah. Yes, because that's all we do. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, where can people find out more about the Hugh Society and more chapters on the way? Yeah, so the Hugh Society is on Instagram at the Hugh Society um, or www.thehughsociety.com. Um, like I said, tickets are about to go on sale for the Wine and Culture Fest here in Atlanta. Um, it's an amazing time, trust me. When's that? Uh, When's that? Yeah. Oh, August. Oh, gosh. Sorry. We over here about to book a flight. Like, I, I didn't know book, what book a flight. I'm telling you, it'll be worth it. <laughs> Lots of flights were booked last year. No one regretted it. 
Um, it's um, August 11th through the 14th here in Atlanta. Um, and so that will also have its own page to the wineculturefest.com. And um, yeah, you know, also Instagram, same thing, Wine and Culture Fest on Instagram. Um, that's it. Will you be at Essence this year? Yeah. I will be at Essence for a client. I won't be producing like any Hugh Society stuff. I'm I'm doing some client stuff. So I I do um brand representation. So I'll uh you know, I help to culminate brands into the community or to the culture. Yeah. So one of my clients will be performing at Essence. So I'll be there. Gotcha. All the things like we said at the beginning. All the things. <laughs> She does all, all the things, things. and y'all get to catch up. Y'all catch <laughs> up. That's all we got to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being yes. with us today. Um, you dropped a lot of nuggets, and I hope that um, our mothers listening have, you know, have changed their mind about, you know, entering the industry and, and uh, looking forward to seeing what comes about. So with that in mind, everyone, please check out additional resources and links in our show notes where you can find more information about our topics and bios of our guest mammologists. We ask that you rate and review this and other episodes or send us an email at mahoganymammology at gmail.com. Then continue the conversation via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this is Mel. And I'm Tosh. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye.